Hey science fans, I have another fantastic podcast to recommend to you guys. The Waterline Podcast. Everything you need to know about the science of water. Have we managed to develop the most sustainable irrigation techniques? Can water be the bringer of peace? Can flushing your toilet light up your house? The answer to all of these questions and many more in the Waterline Podcast which is an initiative of the Israel New Tech as part of the Israeli Ministry of Economy and Industry. It's a new podcast that, uh, is, that is created to communicate the many facets of water. So please, check out an episode. I've, uh, I've checked out several. I actually went back and listened to the very first episode, which gives you a nice overview of uh, sources of fresh water all around the world, rivers, lakes, underground sources, and to see how, how delicate they are, how prone they are to contamination. This is exceptionally important stuff for our world and our future, and I highly recommend this podcast. Search Waterline Podcast on iTunes or in your Android podcast app. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Here We Are podcast. I have a very special guest today, neuroscientist and professor of psychology at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. Bob Provine is with me here. I just lined this up yesterday, so I have not had a chance yet to read um, your books, Laughter, A Scientific Investigation, and Curious Behavior, Yawning, Laughing, and Hiccuping, but I imagine we'll have a lot to talk about. You were telling me uh, before we started recording that it's actually not a, uh, a it, it's it's not not really humor research per se. Your book Laughter. It's more about actual laughing, the actual physical reaction of laughing. That's true. Uh, historically, uh, humor and laughter have been treated as pretty much the same thing, and uh, I separated them out and focused on laughter. Uh, in part because I didn't know what to do with humor. <laughs> as, as a neuroscientist coming to the study of human behavior, uh, I wanted to have something that uh, I just could describe in need, uh, detail and analyze the neural mechanisms involved with it and so on. And uh, humor was simply too difficult a uh, topic for me. So while laughter is ancient, in fact, we share it uh, certainly with other primates and probably other mammals. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, and 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 rats. Uh, I, yeah. I talked about with Peter McGraw making yeah. making rats laugh. But uh, humor is a more recently uh, developed uh, cognitive and linguistic contrivance to get people to laugh. And so so laughter's ancient and humor's modern, and I could understand what to do uh, with laughter. And it wasn't by the way clear what I would do with humor. Uh, yeah, that's uh, don't feel bad about that because a lot of my audiences. I've been a stand up for eleven years, and still a lot of my audiences are like, "Oh, he doesn't really know what to do with uh, with, with humor. He doesn't." <laughs> so, so you know, it's a challenging task. Yeah, I, I was interested in uh, analyzing uh, simple, uh, easily approachable uh, elements of human behavior, so, like "ha ha." You know, the same way that a molecular biologist would approach difficult things in biology by looking at simple biochemical things as opposed to complicated life processes. So I thought, oh, being a neuroscientist coming into the study of laughter, uh, you know, I could figure out something to do with ha-ha. Because after all, ha-ha is a movement that produces a sound. And starting with that, I thought, oh, good way to figure out how the brain works. Okay. So how did you go about um, figuring this out? Well, it, it's a bit of a problem because I, I think as all comedians would appreciate, sometimes laughs are hard to get. Yes. <laughs> okay. And, and uh, it's, in some nights, the, <laughs> are, 
are worse than others. Yeah, some nights they're they're not there at all. Of course, yeah. as a professor, I'm sure you've you've had uh, the less attentive audiences. But the, uh, you're talking about. Now we can get into issues about why some audiences might be responsive right. and others not. But as I, uh, as I started to look into this, I thought, well, you know, laughter is really hard to get to study. You know, so as the neuroscientist going into the lab trying to c- collect a sample of ha-has uh, to, to describe, uh, I found it was really hard to get people to laugh in lab situations. But as often the case, I found that Failure was really success in disguise. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would bring people in and uh, have them listen to things like uh, Shane Moss's new you album. Know, Shane Moss's uh, <laughs> great, yeah, greatest yeah. hits. <laughs> George Carlin, Roger right. Dangerfield, and uh, Joan Rivers, and so on, all sorts of different types. And I thought this is going to get people laughing, and, and uh, typically uh, it didn't. Mm. But this, this was really uh, a useful insight because what was missing, I had the comedy, uh, but what I didn't have was the social setting that's uh, important to it. So mm. the discovery was, you know, the apparent failure, and the discovery was to look at laughter. I needed to go out and look at laughing people in everyday life. But even that turned out to be uh, full of frustration and failure. So how did you approach trying to do this? Uh, uh, you're, you're just uh, spying on people? or something? Well, basically that's it. Yeah. Okay, so we decided, okay, my lab study was going to be a field study. So like Jane Goodall going to Gombe Stream Preserve to look at chimpanzees. I was going to go to the mall, the student union, city <laughs> sidewalks. Okay. And I decided we're going to record... Uh, by surreptitiously listening to people talking to each other, I'm going to record uh, what's said before people laugh. Okay. And again. Hey, did you ever get any strange looks being like an older gentleman in like disguises with equipment trying to, at malls, trying to, trying to capture uh, teenage girls giggling? Well, actually, when I started this, I wasn't an older gentleman. Uh, okay. <laughs> well, that's just part of the disguise, the older, <laughs> older gentleman. Uh, okay, and uh, I was Sorry once, to interrupt. Go I on. was once mistaken as being a store detective. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. I had a woman say, "I know what you are. I know what you're doing here." Uh, better be on your best behavior, yeah. ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Uh, we're not going to look in your shopping bag. So, uh, but what I found was, uh, surprised me, uh, is that uh, most things said before people laugh weren't joke-like at all. It was like, hey, where you been? <laughs> yeah, in, in fact, Shane, in our conversation here, you've laughed several times and I haven't told a single joke. <laughs> you just that was kind right of funny. Yeah, and also you laughed, Social lubricant. You laughed at a, a, a pause in speech. We can get back to that. I call that the punctuation effect. All and right. that uh, provides an interesting uh, insight into how the brain works. I have a friend who every time he says goodbye to me on the phone, he laughs like right at the end of the conversation. It's almost like a nervous laugh or something like that. That's just like how he says goodbye on the phone. It doesn't matter if we're telling a joke or anything like that. Yeah, but when the laughter occurs, whether it's a speaker or the audience, it usually occurs at phrase breaks. A person might say, well, I've got to go now. <laughs> they won't say, hey, I've got to <laughs> go now. Yeah, uh, okay. <clears throat> okay, well, this uh, indicates that uh, speech is dominant over laughter because <laughs> laughter uh, uh, usually doesn't uh, intrude in the phrase structure of speech. Yeah. Uh, so, so this means that uh, basically uh, speech is dominant. And uh, so we're getting an important insight into how the brain's working. Just from by looking at when laughter occurs during speech. And uh, another thing we learned from the field study was, uh, again, most laughter wasn't preceded by things that were obviously jokey. It was preceded by things like, I've got to go now. Hey, here's John, you know. There were, there were a few that were funnier. Uh, you know, my greatest hits out of a sample of 1,200 pre-laugh comments 
the funniest were uh, one. He didn't realize he was sitting in dog shit until he put his hand down to get up. Well, that's pretty funny. Uh, that's worth that, a laugh. That's yeah, a genuine. Saying, yeah, but these, these are the, these <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. These are the, the best, best of the best. Hundred, yeah. Yeah. Uh, another one was well, she, she has her PhD in horizontal folk dancing. Um. <laughs> uh, and and think those, those were the funny ones, but I have more typically they'd be like. Hey, Shane, what's happening? <laughs> Things like that. I have something that I've been thinking a lot about recently, and I don't know that you'll be able to answer this for me, but it is certainly very relevant to our conversation. The funeral laugh or the church laugh. Have you looked at that? Like it's like you're sitting at a at a funeral or whatever, and you're thinking to yourself, okay, what's what's the... What's the most appropriate way to behave right now? Do I look up? Do I look down? Am I like, am I supposed to be praying right now? Am I looking around at other people? And then there's like a part of your brain that goes, well, whatever you do, don't laugh. And then that's like the funniest thought in the world. And then you laugh anyway. Have you ever considered that? Uh, yes, I have. Uh, but the uh, important thing there is other people were there. So it turns out that the in essential ingredient for laughter uh, is uh, not jokes. It's uh, other people. Yes. Okay. I know this from, if I do a comedy club, I can do the same routine every night, but if there's only like 10 people in a 300-seat place, yeah. it's uh, just not going to work. Uh, yeah, like 10 people work nursing warm beers, yeah. scattered around, they're not going to laugh. It's not right? going to work. So you need uh, critical mass. Okay. And so, uh, yeah, laughter really has to do with uh, social facilitation, so you need other people. Yeah, I mean, yeah, for example, there's been great comedians uh, that didn't tell jokes, like um, uh, Jack Benny, for example. Mm. It just, uh, he wouldn't go out and tell jokes. Uh, it would just be a, a nuance, uh, something he did with his head, uh, mm. something like that. Or you have George Carlin. He really doesn't tell jokes in the usual sense. He tells stories. Okay. And, it, and sometimes I feel like sometimes people laugh because it's impressive. Like he was a real wordsmith. You know, he'd go into his little rants or his poems or whatever. Yeah. And it was kind of laughing as like almost a form of appreciation. Yeah, it's uh, you know, like little mini essays, uh, uh, interesting insights, mm -hmm. as opposed to someone like uh, Rodney Dangerfield. That's a I joke joke, yeah. Yeah, it's like bang, 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 bang. Yeah, right. if you didn't like this one... Uh, you're like the one that's coming next. Yeah. Or Groucho Marx would do that. Uh, Groucho may have had a, a low hit rate for his jokes, hmm. but they were coming so fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, uh, you know, the, the, the rate would be good. Might I throw a possible exception at you, so, something that I've noticed as a comedian? So um, I actually use this example a lot um, when talking with other comics and stuff. I, I don't know that I've talked about it on the podcast before. So I had a joke. It was actually inspired by a physicist um, uh, talking about theoretical physics. physics and and uh, it, it was about, basically, it was a very ridiculous, silly joke about getting a sex change, traveling back in time, and impregnating myself. It's one of these paradoxes, you know, if you can do that. So anyhow, so I, I, did the, I did a whole joke about this, and I would do it in front of audience. I may, I may be tried it 10 times never worked people would be looking at me like what the hell is this guy talking about this weirdo then i when i put out my first album i i recorded a bunch and, and the shows were going well and everything and i already had the album basically in the can so so one one of the shows i just decided to do all the jokes that i liked that was one of the jokes it worked for like the first time ever in that club i decided to put it on the album and then that turned out to be like every reviewer that reviewed the album was like, if there's one track that you listen to, you have to listen to this. This is the funniest one. And I think that sometimes in certain circumstances that it's easier to laugh at things if you're actually by yourself, like sitting in a car listening to comedy. I mean, like serious comedy, um, or like satellite, uh, satellite radio is what I mean to say, is, is a pretty popular thing and people are often by themselves. You know, that's uh, really uh, an exception mm -hmm. because, first of all, uh, most laughter is not preceded by things that are obviously jokey. Mm. It's like you, you've laughed a number of times during our conversation, and I haven't told anything that was intended to be a joke. 
You just did that's, it again. That's pretty funny. Also, I, also I you, contest that that was funny. Yes. Funny is a name that we give something, uh, that uh, we uh, label something that makes us laugh. Yeah, yeah. But it doesn't explain anything. It's like, oh, I laugh because I laugh. That's what funny means. Right. Okay. Uh, but uh, the key issue is you had another person here talking to. And also, you laugh during a phrase break. Right. Okay. So every time you've laughed, you've laughed during a phrase <laughs> right. break. And uh, I bet you weren't sitting over there thinking, oh, i got to wait for a phrase break before or after a statement or a question. Uh, yeah, so you have your uh, speech is full of laughter, but you're laughing at a particular time. I bet you're not sitting over there planning. No, this is a laugh? non-conscious process. Laugh? Yes, yeah. a non-conscious process. And uh, yet it's very uh, predictable, even though it's unconscious. Hmm. We do force ourselves to laugh sometimes in situations. I mean, I think audiences will sometimes um, force themselves to laugh because it makes them feel more comfortable. Yeah. Okay. Will, will you force yourself to laugh right now? <laughs> nah. No, you're not buying it. <laughs> Well, that was a good. That was a good one. But before it was sort of like, ha ha ha. I found if you ask people to laugh, about half people uh, will say, "Well, I can't laugh on command," uh, which actually is another uh, interesting insight that just comes from observing ongoing behavior. You know, mm. uh, just like when do you laugh during the flow of speech? You laugh during phrase breaks uh, by finding that uh, the person can't laugh in command. Uh, this is important too. Just like, uh, will, you, will you cry for me now? Um, sure, because I'm a brilliant actor and I can, and no, I can't cry for you. I, although I will say after, I, I imagine it's not always convincing, but after shows, um, sometimes people will come up and want to tell me some like horribly racist street joke or something like that. And I'll like force myself to laugh just to like get out of the situation yeah. and, and move on just to make things, uh, just so things aren't more uncomfortable than they already are. Okay, well, that's a, that's an important insight in that uh, just like uh, you can't uh, cry on command unless you're a practice mm. uh, actor, uh, you can't laugh on command. And yet uh, uh, explanations of laughter usually are based on, oh, I laugh because someone did something funny, which is just saying I laugh because they did something that made me laugh. Funny doesn't describe anything. And now I'm now I'm just trying to make myself cry. Okay. <laughs> My eyes are well okay, so, up a little bit. Yeah, basically, <clears throat> basically, you laugh during <laughs> phrase breaks in speech. You laugh uh, when other people are around. In fact, we found that you laugh thirty times more often in social than solitary situations. Hmm. When you think about when do you laugh when no one's around, uh, and I'm excluding here things like television, radio, or the people living in your head. Who knows what's living in your head? Uh, it's a mess. Yeah. When you're thinking about uh, other social situations, which I would call vicarious social situations, mm. if you get rid of that, laughter basically disappears. Oh, that's interesting. So if you've got a person spending a lot of time in a room by themselves and they're laughing a lot, that's a very strange person. Hmm. You know, I will... As we're talking, I'm thinking a lot of times, you know what comics often do when they're watching a show is is they'll be like... Oh, that's funny. Like, they won't laugh at all. No. They'll be like, oh, that's funny. It doesn't come along with laughter because we've seen everything and we're bored with it. Um, but we still appreciate the structure. Yeah. So, yeah, it is two, so that, it's two very separate you. things. I didn't laugh, but I appreciated the structure. No, this is this is a very, very, very common uh, thing thing amongst the com comedic community. E every comedian knows and 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 feels this way pretty much. All right. Um. And and oftentimes people will be like, "Oh, that's funny," without laughing. Yeah. Which means they appreciate. So yeah, there's a there's a. The separation. Yeah. Well, laughter uh, is sort of a, a gold standard uh, for. Uh, humor uh, in that uh, it's hard to fake, so mm. it, it's uh, called a, an honest behavior, an honest signal. You know, just like uh, it's hard to cry in command, it's hard to, to laugh in command. So when you look at laugh patterns, you can tell what people are really thinking about each other. Because mm. again, it's hard to fake. Yeah, you know, a person might say that was funny and didn't laugh, but if a person laughs, you know, that 
uh, uh, that would be persuasive. Hmm. In fact, by looking at laugh patterns, uh, you can tell a lot about what people really think, because it's hard to lie with laughter. So if you go to a uh, social situation, you want to think, uh, how are people uh, getting along with each other? Well, obviously, eye contact, a lot's been made for that. You know, people, uh, if you have a couple where they're looking, gazing into each other's eyes, that's always a positive. Standing close, mm -hmm. uh, carrying on a conversation that uh, with someone six feet away, it looks like they're getting ready to escape. This is not positive. But uh, close together, eye contact, and a lot of laughter. Mm. Uh, this is important. And in fact, uh, uh, women especially are very much attracted to men with a good sense of humor. Uh, you, you probably find yourself irresistible uh, for this. Oh, reason. yeah. So, uh, please, ladies. Yeah. It's just, uh, I know my humor is just too much for you yeah. to, to uh, withstand. Sex, sex magnet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, women love guys with good sense of humor. Women don't care if the guy laughs. Says, well, you know, forget him. <laughs> right. So a guy with a good sense of humor, that's not a giggly guy. He says, no, oh, I went out with this guy last night. He was wonderful. He just giggled all night long. That, that doesn't sound like a very positive thing, does it? Hmm. But, uh, oh, great sense of humor. It means made me laugh. A woman doesn't care if the guy laughs at all. Forget him. A woman doesn't care if a guy laughs at all? No, she doesn't. <laughs> what? Come on. That's a little bit of an exaggeration, I think. No, she thinks a great sense of humor is not the guy laughing. So no, I, mean, I, I know. I recognize that. But still, like, if, if you're in a relationship, uh, one of the best things that happens is when both of you are just dying laughing over something funny that's happened. Like an inside joke that you have as a couple. That's like... what. One of my favorite things about relationships. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm not saying it doesn't happen. The key, <laughs> the key thing is women... I, I understand what you're saying. Women love guys with a good sense of humor. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But it works out okay because guys think, hey, you know, uh, they like women who laugh at their jokes, that laugh at what they do, you know, so that's cool. So in the, uh, the sexual marketplace, all this is really cool because guys like women who laugh when they're around them and mm. uh, women like guys who make them laugh. So, hey, it all works out good. Right. So, uh, you know, think about that in the world of comedy. You wouldn't think, oh, the guy's a great comedy, a, a great uh, comic. He goes up the stage and he just laughs and laughs. Right. Yeah, it's not cool. In fact, I'd be considered very uncool. Yeah, the yeah, only yeah. person laughing to There you. are some comics that do that sometimes, and it's incredibly irritating. Yeah, particularly if no one in the audience is laughing. Right. Uh, actually, that's uh, one of the uh, many differences between stand-up comedy and everyday uh, laughter. Hmm. Is uh, Stand-up comedy is a bad model for everyday laughter. Mm -hmm. First of all... Our field studies indicated that uh, most laughter doesn't follow a joke. It's mm. of the, hey, here's John. <laughs> Where you been? <laughs> That's the kind of stuff it is. Okay. So most laughter doesn't follow jokes. The, the key element is other people. Okay. Uh, another issue is that the speaker often laughs more than the audience. So as looking at pairs of people, a so-called social dyad, the simplest social group, we found that the laughter, the uh, speaker, uh, laughs more than the audience. How odd is that? Now, this was another case where I thought, oh, uh, my uh, research program is, uh, you know, it's failing, it's going wrong. Uh, but learn something interesting is that in everyday laughter, the speaker uh, will often laugh more than the person they're speaking to. I would have never guessed this. And why do you think that is? Uh, I don't know why it is. It simply is. So my objective was uh, not to pursue any particular hypothesis. It's just describe what people do mm. and let people tell me what's important. So we found is, oh, you know, uh, laughter, doesn't intrude, uh, laughter doesn't intrude on speech. Speech is dominant. Uh, most laughter doesn't follow jokes. The key element is other people. In fact, remember 30 times more often in social and solitary situations. And the speaker uh, typically laughs more than the audience. Hmm. Uh, also, there's huge sex differences here. Uh, this is uh, bad, uh, uh, bad news for female comedians. And uh, 
basically women have to work harder for their jokes. So mm. both men and women are more likely to laugh uh, when men than women are talking to them. So I'm not saying there aren't right. you know, funny uh, female comics. Yeah, yeah, it's simply course. if There's you look at everyday life, uh, the best laugh getters are men. You think about who was the, uh, your class clown in high school. How many of those were women? Yeah. Worldwide, uh, they're men. And so what you find in the professional world of comedy uh, is simply an expression of what's in everyday life. You know, the class clown, uh, the funny, the guy that gets the most laughs, uh, it's it's a guy, not a gal. Well, I think that that women are, um, I I think the same percentage of of women that try stand-up as do guys uh, end up doing just as well as as guys do i think i think it's just a smaller percentage of women that actually try in the first place i think there's maybe one woman trying stand up for every hundred guys and but i would say that you know say the success rate for a male comedian is five percent or something which is nowhere near that probably more like one percent i would say i would say the same percentage probably applies to females and in my i i mean i'm no expert i haven't i haven't crunched the numbers or anything like that but um but it doesn't i know clearly females are um are underrepresented in the comedy community but i don't think they're actually trying in the first place yeah uh and that's informative uh, because I, I don't think we're dealing with an issue here of like sexism in the entertainment industry. Yeah, yeah. Because if you look at uh, the world of music, you know, uh, uh, clearly women are equal, if not dominant, to mm-hmm. men when it uh, comes to like singing. Right. But what's different about comedy? So you have this huge disparity between the number of male and female uh, comedians. And so, again, uh, for explanation, you just look at laugh getters in everyday life, look at class clowns, uh, you're going to f- uh, find uh, fewer funny women. And also, it's interesting in that, uh, you know, as a uh, male comedian and sex magnet. <laughs> <laughs> that's, how I, that's how I have most people introduce me, yes. by the way. Famous. Usually, I make them say "famous comedian" and "sex magnet." Shane Moss. Okay. <laughs> uh, but uh, I've heard interviews with female comedians that say, "Well, the uh, the guys doing their acts." It says afterwards, it says all sorts of women come up and talk to them after the show. Right. They do really well. Yeah, yeah. And uh, some even uh, very attractive female comedians that say it's not the same with me. Guys don't come up and hit on me after the shows. Yeah, but maybe they're intimidated or say I don't know. I, I mean, you're uh, of course there's always individual differences. You are talking with someone who um last whose last two girlfriends were female comedians and who is very very attracted to female comedians. Okay. Um, well, you see now but... you know you have a, a desperate audience. <laughs> <laughs> These girls are not desperate. I wish they were more desperate. No, but uh, 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 yeah, I had uh, uh, come upon this with some interviews of yeah. female comedians. It's just basically uh, men, for whatever reason, uh, seem to be. I've heard less females talk like yeah. uh, talk about this um, phenomenon before. It, um, I I just think it's important to point out that this is yeah you know, we're we're painting with a broad brush, of course. Yes. Yes. Um, so, so what do you think is, so, so do you have any ideas as to why you think there is this sex difference? Well, suddenly, uh, this takes us from, uh, the world of data where I can speak right. with a great deal of confidence uh, into speculation. For example, uh, why are people, uh, less attracted to female comedians, assuming that in fact that that's true. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this is just speculation based on uh, a, a few uh, uh, interviews that I've encountered. But uh, when we ask why that is, it's a different thing. You know, for example, uh, a, a male that's uh, skilled in comedy or skilled uh, in basically the social tools that come with that. Uh, 
mm. uh, you know, maybe reflective of an alpha male. Uh, do, you, do you see yourself as being an alpha male, for example, a, a social lion, an alpha male in the world of primates? Well, I can turn that on. Um, I mean, I, I know how to flip that switch and, and be a dominant guy, but, um, but often I'm, I'm a bit more reserved or laid back anyway. Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, I I detect this demure quality. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, all right. I mean, uh, it might, might not be too far off. I mean, I wasn't a big class clown. I was a class clown in some of the classes. In the classes that I, you know, what's interesting is the classes that I was usually the biggest class clown in was the classes that I was, like, dominant in, which is, like, math class. I never had to pay attention or do anything. or I would just, I, I was always very, just naturally good at math. I didn't have to work at it. Whereas every other class, I I had to work very hard or didn't pay attention or whatever. I I, I was getting not great grades but math i was always the top student i would often like be helping tutor other people and those were the ones that i was also the class clown and would also be like a a bit disruptive at times so you're you're the go-to guy for math humor um not math humor but uh humor in a math class definitely um I, i and it wasn't it wasn't jokes about math that's for sure it was me just um just goofing off and being a smart ass and and that sort of thing yeah but if you go to social situations and look at who's talking and who's laughing it'll tell you a lot about what people think for example Hmm. if a uh, woman's laughing a lot in the presence of a a god this means she's interested in attractive to that person Hmm. so uh uh, conjoint male and female laughter is positive or just the women laughter the woman's laughter is probably the most predictive uh, so this means that you know there's something going on here, and since it's an honest signal, you know that's not contrived. This is what people really think. So mm. next time you go to a situation, look at your own situation, look at that of others, and you you can tell what people are really thinking. It's easier to lie with words than with laughter. Hmm. Um. So. So have did you have you done any work with? where is laughter coming from in the brain are there are there different parts of the brain that are controlling like a genuine laugh like at a joke and a laugh for um a a phrase break is that it's called right and and or or, you know like these kind of social lubricant kind of laughs well first of all I, i think we need to consider what all laughter has in common you know, people say, well, you know, you have uh, nervous titters, you have guffaws, you have all these mm. different... I think, no, underneath it, you have one basic kind of laugh. Because if everyone laughed in a different way, you wouldn't know what they're doing. Hmm. Okay, so I'm interested in what that deep structure is, what that structure is that's produced with the brain. And the best insights uh, come from evolutionary studies of laughter, something else that I've done. Hmm. Now, for example, if you tickle chimpanzees, uh, in fact, next time you tickle a chimpanzee, you can. It's important to find a consenting chimpanzee. Yeah, much stronger than you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I. By the way, I, I would. Um, had I, I would have paid attention in school to more than just math classes. Had I known that tickling a chimpanzee is a job that I could have had, if I would have paid attention in science class. Uh, I, I don't know what the growth potential of that profe- <laughs> professional specialty is, but uh, I would be the best in the world, the go-to chimp tickler. Well, you can try tickling other members of your species. You, All don't, right. you don't need a chimp. Okay. Uh, in fact, when's the last time you tickled someone? Um, it's been a little while, I think, but I I've been tickled recently. I don't think I've tickled someone else. Okay, when you ask whether you tickled someone else or they tickled you, uh, was the person of the same or different sex? It'd be that'd be different, different sex. Uh, me and my guy friends just sitting around tickling one another. Yeah, I've got I've got to give that a go tonight with uh, with the other male comics on the show tonight and, yeah, and def- see how see how it goes over. This is a primal humor, you know. It's a mutual tickling, you know. 
Right. When all else fails, you go down there. Yeah, yeah. As soon as this podcast those, is over, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that we'll both row. be tickling each other for a while. Okay, we find this overwhelmingly, uh, you know, in the world of social sciences where you have huge samples and tiny little effects, excruciating mm-hmm. little tiny effects, you know, uh, establish at this or that level of significance. Mm-hmm. I think, oh, no, I like big effects, like the one I was talking about, social versus solitary laughter. 30 times and someone says yes but is that statistically significant like if you ask the right question you don't have to ask the question about it right okay uh you can the same thing if you look at tickle if you who do you tickle and who tickles you uh it's overwhelmingly heterosexual so you typically uh tickle someone of the opposite sex Hmm. and you're tickled by some of the now I'm interested in if, uh, if if gay people tickle each other. I'd yeah. imagine that they would. Oh, I'm sure. But the uh, the issue is, uh, you know, in my sample, uh, you know, there were two <laughs> right, few right. such people. Right, right, of course. At. No, but my guess is that you would get, uh, yeah, more same-sex uh, tickling. And yeah, yeah. But so, you, you can look at this in your own tickle life. Say you're, uh, you're an expert in getting people to laugh by... Uh, linguistic uh, cognitive contrivances, you mm-hmm. know. But you think, hey, what about the world of tickle? You could be the first tickling comedian. Um, that that's how I open up my uh, my show. By the way, I I go um, tonight. I am going to entertain you by getting you to laugh with logistic. <laughs> what was your phrasing? I enjoyed that phrasing. Um, linguistic, li- linguistic and cognitive, cognitive contrivances. Well, you need something more primal. You've got to, well, you get the roots of it. You get the roots of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, this doesn't have to interfere with what I already do. So it, it'll just be in addition to my my stand-up show as people are entering in the club i'll just tickle each and every one of them yeah it's just a little bonus what 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 if you tickle yourself doesn't work why is that um well i would i would need some sort of um device that that uh, has some unpredictability to it that's true that's an important insight unpredictability but I mean, in in the world of uh, yeah, for example, there's a yeah fairly sophisticated world of like sex toys. <laughs> you can actually climax. Uh, by, by the way, don't ever say sex toys like that again. That was, that was as creepy as you can say the word sex toys. Go on, you actually, can climax yeah. with. Okay. Now I'm making you self-conscious, but I I need to I need to go ha 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 for social lubricant. Okay. This isn't part of your performance. No, no. Okay, okay. Uh, but uh, yeah, you have the world of sex toys, which basically is a, a, a self-stimulation that can actually lead to climax. Okay. Right. Uh, but you can't tickle yourself, and it's hard mm. to come up with a device that will tickle you. It's hard to it's hard to build a device like this. Hmm. Actually, I've thought about a, a tickle machine, and I wasn't able to, to build a really successful tickle machine. It's a lot easier. You just find another, find another person, <laughs> find another consenting adult. Just okay. out on the street, just walk up to strangers and start asking. Actually, when's when's the last time you were tickled by a stranger? Uh, it hasn't happened yet. When's I don't. A, think. When's the last time you tickled a stranger? Um, well, um, I'm pleading the fifth. No, I, I, I don't think I've ever tickled a stranger. Yeah, well, this, this is interesting because tickle is a form of social stimulation. We, mm. we, you think, oh, it's like a reflex. Well, it's not like a reflex at all. Because, like, anyone can give you a, a knee-jerk reflex, patellar tendon reflex. Anyone can do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but tickle, you're basically tickled by friends, family, lovers, you know, not by a strange guy called Fred wandering up the sidewalk. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Sorry, all the Freds out there. He didn't. Nothing personal. Okay. <laughs> okay. So it's a it's a form of communication, and it, it's also you know uh, e- uh, even amongst uh, uh, confirmed tickle haters, and there are some of these. You know, I hate being tickled. You know, it's because uh, you know they think about a, an evil older brother that uh, held them down and tickled them until they peed in their pants. 
right. most undignified thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I uh, used to do that to my sister. I'm yeah. a bad person. Okay, but the uh, but but saying that you hate all tickle, you know, you forget the issue that uh, basically tickle is something that binds you together in the give and take of physical play. You know, mm. so when you can reciprocate, you know, so you know. Uh, non-consensual tickles like non-consensual sex really you know but if you engage uh you know a a uh, another playful person they can reciprocate you know mm. uh yeah it'd be more fun okay uh, but when you can't reciprocate you know that's no fun at all so you don't have a tickle battles but you think about you know children have chasing games that result in tickle and so on you think about yeah but adulthood this changes but it really doesn't change in the sense that tickle is uh, an important part of sexual foreplay, mm. okay? And uh, so it really doesn't go away. So people, uh, even uh, tickle haters, <laughs> might like it. And in fact, and, uh, uh, I did uh, uh, By the way, I'm, uh, if you guys come out and see a show, I will be selling t-shirts that say tickle hater uh, <laughs> on it for you. See, uh, Shane is very quiet during this part of the... Uh, <laughs> We have a, a rich vein of humor here. Right? <laughs> um, humor. So, uh, but I, I am still curious. What what part of the brain is um, is generating laughter? Have you done as a neuroscientist? Have you done MRIs and figured this out? Have you had people tickled? Well, there. I, ha I haven't done the MRI studies because I think the best place to start is looking at the behavior itself. Okay. Uh, because simply, when you start to take pictures of people's brains when they're doing things, it gives you a kind of false confidence. This, I know what's going on in the brain. I have a picture. Mm. Yeah, so I think there's, there, there's the danger of uh, what I would call the new phrenology, when they used to guess what was going on in your head from bumps on your skull. Uh, simply because you can have uh, pictures of uh, uh, brain areas lighting up in the MRI can give you a false confidence that you have something that's, that's deeper, that's more important. Hmm. Uh, it may be basically self-delusional. Hmm. So I, I, uh, I'm all for uh, fMRI studies, but I think it needs to be preceded by the behavioral studies. Or otherwise, yeah, you can end up doing some uh, silly things. Well, and, and obviously, too, with what you said, trying to get people to laugh in a lab setting doesn't quite work, so you'd almost need the little skull cap things. Or yeah, whatever. and also, you know, for example, in the world of comedy, uh, it could be, uh, you can have visual comedy, you can have linguistic comedy, you can have cognitive comedy. There's all sorts of these complicated uh, uh, stimuli, uh, all of which have social roots. Because remember, mm. laughter is more common, 30 times more common in social than solitary situations. So it means that much of the brain is engaged in producing stimuli. Uh, but when we start to look at the actual act of laughter, the ha-ha, we're dealing with something that's more primal and we can get at it. And uh, it's probably a, a brain stem origin, you know, uh, a definitely basal brain. Hmm. But if we look at laughter of other animals, such as the chimpanzee, we can tell where it all comes from. Yeah, you can join me in an exercise here in a minute. Mm -hmm. If you tickle a chimpanzee, uh, you can get a sample of what uh, the ancestral form of humor is. You tickle a chimpanzee, and you get a sound like this, uh, as being one of the three species of chimpanzees, the common chimp, the uh, homo sapiens, and the bonobo. Yeah, I, I can produce these sounds, as can you. You can join me in a minute. All right. Tickle a chimpanzee, you get this. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't sound a lot like laughter, actually. So even though uh, Jane Goodall, Charles Darwin, uh, Diane Fossey had referred to these sounds as laughter and chuckling and so on, I found if you take recordings of chimpanzee laughter and you play it to a naive audience and tell them, what are you listening to? Uh, almost no one says it's laughter. I've heard it's a da uh, dog panting, uh, it's sawing, it's sanding. Hmm. Uh, is, uh, is it people having sex? You know, it's... It, uh, no one says it sounds like laughter. So, <laughs> mm. okay, you make you make this sound now. The make same a, sound? Yeah, like a panting dog. <laughs> uh, a panting dog would be yeah. that. 
Okay, now, now really get into it. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay, that's where it all came from. So pant, pant became ha-ha. So uh, human laughter is uh, really the ha-ha of human laughter is uh, really a form of pant, pant becoming ha-ha. That's where it all came from. But when a dog pants, it's very tired usually, um, or you know, it's just exercised a lot. And when a when a chimp pants, if that's what we're calling it, it's usually like during like play fighting or something like that. Yeah. So uh, the ancestral uh, stimulus uh, for laughter is uh, the labored breathing of rough and tumble play. So that's where it all came from. Laughter is the sound of labored breathing of rough and tumble play. Hmm. Okay. Now uh, put your hand on your belly. We have another one. All right. Okay. Now make those panning sounds. <laughs> okay. Okay. Now go. Ha 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 ha. Ha 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 ha! Now yeah. notice your hand on yeah, your yeah. belly is not going up and down. Right, okay. right. That's interesting. Okay, so uh, between chimpanzees producing the ancestral form and us, the pant pant became ha ha, and this uh, not only indicates uh, the difference between chimpanzee and human laughter, uh, but the reason why we can talk and they can't. Hmm. Okay, Chim- uh, chimpanzees can't talk. Uh, because they don't have uh, the respiratory control that we have. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so between chimpanzees and humans, we went from pant, pant to ha, ha. Again, it indicates uh, why we can talk and they can't. So mm-hmm. here's the case where laughter is a powerful tool for understanding uh, evolution. So every, you know, in the contentious world of uh, language evolution, something that everyone agrees is you can't teach a chimp to talk. <laughs> okay. A sign language. You can teach a sign language. <laughs> and you know, there's even arguments about there what, to the extent that that's you know, uh, a true language. Mm. You know, uh, not that sign language is a true language, because it is. Right. But whether what chimps are doing is really a kind of sophisticated imitation or whether they have what constitutes uh, true language. Hmm. That's interesting. Okay, but uh, I don't want to go there. That, that's no, complicated no, and contentious. However, everyone agrees you can't teach a chimp to talk. Right. Okay. And the reason is breath control, and laughter indicates why. Okay, they can't control an exhalation to produce uh, speech just as they can't produce the human form of ha-ha-ha. Mm. Okay. And the breakthrough here, I believe, is bipedality. Uh, so chimpanzees, well, they can stand upright and walk upright on two legs for short distances. Uh, they're basically a quadruped. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like horses and dogs and sheep and so on. And their respiratory system is locked into uh, the demands of quadrupedal locomotion. You know, so, for example, a horse running has to synchronize breathing uh, and uh, running, or otherwise, every time they have a stride, they'd go face down in the dirt. You know, this is the same reason why when you lift a heavy weight, you'll hold mm-hmm. your breath, because otherwise, sure. your lungs are simply a floppy, air-filled bag. Mm. Okay? So you hold your breath. Well, uh, running animals uh, also will synchronize breath hold during the forelimb impact, or otherwise, they won't have enough strength. Hmm. Uh, t- you know, so a horse has to synchronize that, or you know, horse face down into the dirt. You know, they don't have enough strength. So with bipedality, uh, this uh, freed the thorax of its mechanical support function during running. Hmm. But as a bonus, uh, it also provided the arena in which you can get natural selection for the fancy uh, produce the fancy sounds of speech or the fancy sound of human laughter. So who would guess that walking upright on two legs both allowed us to go from pant, pant to ha, ha, as well as not speaking to speaking? So here's a case where laughter is uh, is a very useful tool. That is very, uh, very, very interesting. That's uh, I've I have never heard that idea before. Um, 
that's incredible. Uh, so I'll tell you what, I want to talk a little bit about your other book as well. Um, let's talk about some of these other, uh, human reactions but before we do that, just to get a, um, maybe this would be a good time to plug the, uh, the charity of the week. Um, what's the nonprofit that you would like to, okay. Rails to trails. Rails uh, to Trails. It's What's an organization that, that uh, converts uh, old uh, railways uh, to uh, uh, hiking and bicycling trails. Oh, that's cool. You're you're a big cyclist. Yes. I take it you're going you're going uh, cycling after this. Yes. Um, that's fact, there's a bicycle behind us. Yeah, yeah. That's it. It's got a cute little wicker basket on it and and everything. Um, so, all right, let me, so your other book, Curious Behavior, Yawning, Laughing, um, and hiccup, Hiccuping, and um, and Beyond, there it is, yeah. um, Curious Behavior, Yawning, Laughing, Hiccuping, and Beyond, so, um, actually, it's, it's way beyond, oh. so we do coughing, uh, sneezing, uh, vocal crying, emotional tearing, hmm. uh, as well as everyone's favorite, uh, belching and uh, farting. Well, let's get into it. We also engage the very important topic about why we evolved the capacity to talk through the mouth and not through the butt. What? What are you talking about right now? All right, explain yourself, sir. Well, I can see that obviously you have not entertained this. Uh... No, I mean, you, you just... You, you just watched Ace Ventura uh, <laughs> recently, I think. Okay. The, uh, actually, it's a, it's a very serious issue, is that uh, we are talking to each other <laughs> by passing uh, uh, gas through an orifice yeah. uh, that was uh, uh, evolved in the capacity uh, uh, to keep uh, uh, food and uh, drink out of the airways. So the vocal folds, the so-called vocal cords, are really a valve. Mm. We pass gas over them, sets up vibrations. That's really uh, basically evolved to keep us from, uh, you know, uh, food and drink out of the lungs. Okay. Uh, why not? Uh, why didn't we evolve the capacity uh, uh, to uh, control the vibrations uh, of gases passing over another valve? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Well, do you need two valves to talk out of, though? No, but I'm saying uh, the one we're talking about is very elegant, inelegant and improbable. And so the vocal mechanism is complicated and it's given to all sorts of malfunctions and so on. Uh, so uh, asking the question about why uh, we didn't evolve the capacity to uh, speak through the butt is, uh, is not an altogether frivolous thing. Well, yeah, but uh, but the, but the butt isn't isn't um, attached to the lungs. We we so so we're not uh, you know we're we're not uh, in conscious control of of exactly how much of this gas stuff is going in and out of it. Well, actually, actually, you are, and in in some uh, uh, extraordinary situation, again, we need to think about uh, the evolutionary history of the vocal apparatus itself, mm -hmm. which again is very improbable. Uh, very inelegant, uh, very uh, clunky kind of thing. It's the kind of thing an engineer would never uh, would never develop. Uh, so if we have it on the other end, I think one way of looking at this would be uh, individuals that had uh, developed uh, virtuosic capacity to communicate through the uh, orifice B. And, and it is possible to... Wait, 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 what did you just say? The people that have developed the capacity to talk through their butt? Yes, or orifice B will will be delicate here. <laughs> I'm not sure how delicate we're being. So uh, what are these individuals that you're talking about? Now, for example, there was a famous Frenchman uh, named Lepetamane. <laughs> what? Who had one of the uh, most popular acts at the Moulin Rouge. Uh, around the uh, the turn of the 20th century. And, uh, you know, so m maybe I'll give you some yet uh, uh, new ideas for your act. So we got the tickling thing, 
You know, what, what was his act? What okay, can well, he do? Petamine uh, basically was able to take uh, a deep breath uh, through the rectum and then control. Uh, oh, yeah, I have control, a friend that can do that. Control the exhalation. Uh, yeah, he would uh, be able to put tubes in there and play uh, like flutes uh, through the. Uh, he would also uh, uh, simply be able to get some extraordinary effects uh, uh, just simply going uh, a notch or all. Uh, apparently, one is uh, like he would be able to uh, belt out uh, at least the rhythm, if not the words of uh, Marseillaise. What the words? Not not the actual words, but the, the uh, rhythm. Oh, the rhythm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he wasn't able to actually speak through this orifice, but he could get all sorts of sound, like uh, the sound of distant distant thunder, trumpets, trombones, birds singing. Uh, unfortunately, we right, don't have any recordings of the uh, intestines aren't 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 like designed for storing air and stuff. Though. Well, uh, neither uh, neither is the apparatus, the orifice that we're using to communicate with each other now. What do you Again, mean? The lungs are? Oh, the lungs are for breathing, and the uh, vocal cords, the vocal folds, uh, evolve simply to keep water and food out of the lungs. So in other words, we evolved this capacity that really was secondary. Uh, that's not what they're really about. Yeah, but there's so much more um, air. It, it, forget talking. There's so much more air being passed through the lungs than, than there is through the digestive tract. Yeah, but, uh, for example, Petamine was able to take the equivalent of a deep breath. <laughs> Okay. Through orifice B. Yeah, but this is like one crazy guy that really, really worked on this skill. Okay, well, I, I think that the scientific message uh, about this, and there is a scientific message, uh, okay. is that we are uh, talking to each other using a very clunky orifice that uh, oh, I, evolved I agree in with a, you. the service yeah, of another yeah. function. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so talking about uh, option B, I, I think, gives us... Uh, some insights into how inelegant, uh, you know, the, the process we're now using is, and, and also <laughs> how evolution works. I, I don't know. To me, it makes it seem more elegant, considering that we could be talking out of our butts, but maybe that's well, I mean, just you my sense. You don't have a, a mouth down there. You don't have the teeth. You don't have the tongue. You can't sh <laughs> shape the sounds in the same way. Okay. Right. So I would say it's a it's a, a more impoverished uh, organ for vocal communication. Right, right. Okay. And and what what is happening with farts? Why are we farting? What's what's the uh, what's the science of well, farts? Well, typically it's a, it? it's a it's a buildup of uh, of gas. Mm -hmm. That's what usually. Uh, yeah. Um, and then so what are hiccups? I I know nothing about hiccups. I. Well, the function of hiccuping is uh, it's not it's not clear. Uh, yeah, we're all experts in hiccuping that we've had them. Mm -hmm. uh, it can be produced by eating hot peppers. It can be produced by uh, drinking alcohol. Uh, prenatally, it's one of the most common of all behaviors. In fact, uh, uh, toward the end of the first trimester of prenatal development, uh, hiccuping is one of the most common behaviors. More common than prenatal breathing, uh, prenatal yawning, prenatal stretching. Hiccuping is really prominent, and then toward uh, birth, it uh, drastically declines. And uh, throughout life, uh, the probability of hiccuping uh, declines. So it's, it's possible that hiccuping, if it had any function at all, had a prenatal function. Hmm. And so we're uh, experiencing is simply a, a postnatal performance of something that was prominent and perhaps even important uh, at other developmental stages. Really? As you get older, you're going to hiccup less. That's good news. And uh, except for males who have thoracic surgery. Hmm. And one of the uh, common uh, thoracic surgery side effects is hiccuping. In fact, it can even uh, interfere uh, with recovery. You know, for example, if you have uh, hiccuping, which is a kind of violent mo uh, movement, it can... Mm. Uh, cause tearing of stitches, or hmm. at the very least uh, uh, discomfort uh, of the hiccuping person. Uh, and it's male thoracic uh, surgery patients, not female thoracic 
surgery patients. Very odd. Hmm. In fact, it even may have contributed to the demise of Pope Pius XII. Really? Yes, that that he had. Uh, wasn't there some hiccups? Wasn't there some odd um, condition? No, no, no. That was sneezing. There was some weird condition way back when, where like in in, in the last throes of it, people would essentially like sneeze to death or something. Um, it, it was like centuries ago. It was just like a, one of the many symptoms of some weird disease. I I don't even remember. I, well, a lot of the behaviors that I've looked at, which are a whole family of instinctive behaviors, which are very good ways to figure out how the brain works, that behavioral scientists and social scientists almost always ignore them. Things like sneezing. Mm-hmm. You know, they're such powerful behaviors. It's possible that someone could have a stroke as a result of a sneeze. Yeah, now that I think about it, I do think I have read about people like dying from hiccups or something well, like that. Well, people have so... died from laughing. Okay. Oh, right, right. Yeah, that's Anyone interesting. Anyone in your audience has died of laughing. No, not yet, unfortunately. <laughs> I, I thought I thought maybe one time, turns out the guy was just sleeping. It was the opposite. <laughs> it's the opposite thing. Um, but, um, uh, well, um, all right. That, so, so what do you think... Because to me, I mean, I haven't studied this, of course, but 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 to me, hiccuping seems like it has to just be like some byproduct of of some other thing. You 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 have a uh, any ideas of of what the purpose of hiccuping could actually have been in the fetal environment? Uh, no idea. Uh, some people hmm. have suggested it has something to do with. Uh, the development of the lungs and so on, but I really don't know. Hmm. So, uh, you know, simply, I was simply describing its frequency, and it, de- it declines over birth from being one of the most common of all behaviors to something that's everyone knows about, but it's quite rare after birth and declines uh, throughout life. Hmm. Uh, but again, it can be dangerous uh, uh, in male thoracic surgery patients. Uh, but other the behaviors that we've looked at. Uh, they're good for uh, people with neurological interests because they're simple. It's like laughter is a whole lot simpler than speech, mm-hmm. you know. So if it's like the molecular biological approach, right? Know, in the behavioral realm, you know, it's, it takes something simple that we can describe. So ha ha is a uh, you know people talk about uh, the majesty and complexity of human language. Mm-hmm. Well, I, as a scientist, I find majesty and complexity. I think, well, that's really great for the essay writer, not so good for the scientist. <laughs> right, right. <clears throat> Can't deal with this. That, that's one of the reasons why I've typically looked at laughter and not humor. Mm. Humor, humor, starting to get complicated. I want something primal. Yeah. You know, so uh, uh, looking at things like uh, uh, coughing, sneezing, uh, hiccuping, and so on. Yeah, a lot of these also are contagious. So, uh, like, laughter is contagious. Yeah, right? yeah. So, uh, you know, for example... Not hiccuping, though, not, fortunately. That's good. Uh, hiccuping's not. Uh, but laughter uh, is contagious, in fact. And not farting either, fortunately, I, uh, as far as I know. Yeah, anyway. uh, uh, with, with the possible exception of certain young boys <laughs> right, right, right. different process right. but they uh, simply uh, hearing the sound of laughter causes us to laugh just as seeing another person yawn uh, will cause us to yawn mm. so yawning causes yawning laughter causes yeah. like uh, coughing can actually uh, cause coughing oh really yeah that's uh, that makes sense i but, guess but it's sneezing sneezing is not contagious that's another good thing too. Well, um, thank you very much, Rob Provine, for uh, joining me today. Everybody, please uh, go to the Here We Are Podcast dot com website, and you can take a look at his book, Curious Behavior: Yawning, Laughing, Hiccuping, and Beyond, way beyond, and uh, and his book, Laughter: A Scientific Investigation. Thank you for your time, Bob, Um, and uh, thank you guys for listening. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Please make sure and tune in next week. Uh, One of my favorite episodes is coming out with Professor Jeff Sherman. We talk about his research investigating the cognitive processes underlying social psychology and behavior, and in particular, we focus a lot on stereotypes and prejudice. This is a big topic.
um, all over the news. We're talking about uh, uh, police brutality and and prejudice, and there's protests going on, and um, Black Lives Matter stuff, and and you know it's everywhere you look. Everyone's talking about this topic. It's all over the news, and never. Never once have I seen on the news, and I'm sure it has happened here and there, but for all, all the stuff you see, I, I never once have seen um, uh, the news put a scientist on to talk about why our brains um, process information the way that they do and how stereotypes and prejudice and in and out group behavior is processed in the brain and how it arises. And I... <laughs> I can't believe, for as important of a topic as people seem to think that this is, um, uh, the fact that no one's digging into this and trying to get a deeper understanding is beyond me. Um, but I'm doing that, and you are too by listening to this podcast, so make sure and tune in next week. And if you enjoy the show, um, please make sure and uh, subscribe and share with your friends and rate and review and do all that good stuff for me. I'll talk with you guys next week. You guys are awesome. Thanks for being here. I'm Kyle Ayers. I'm the host of Never Seen It, the podcast where comedians rewrite famous movies and TV shows they've never seen, and then we give them a read in studio. This is a clip I want to play for you guys from an episode where Langston Kerman rewrites Scarface. He's never seen it, but he wrote a script based on what he thinks he knows about it. And here's a clip. Give it a listen. All right. Scarface, the new frontier. Interior. Happening discotheque. Remember when we call clubs discotheques? <laughs> LOL. The 70s were crazy. Night. The crowd bustles with young, hot Mexicans who are supposed to be Cuban and all are dressed in butterfly collared shirts and pants that look like Jinko jeans and pleated khakis had a really weird baby. <laughs> There's sex in the air and Poppy wants a whiff. <laughs> oh, my God. Scarface, 22 to 45. <laughs> like he's a television audience demographic? Devilishly handsome. Not even a little bit Italian looking, so get that out of your dumb brain. Walks through the crowd with the confidence of a man who's going on MTV Cribs with the Ying Yang Twins. Does he actually have a scar on his face? Fuck no. Why would he even why would you even ask that? That's not important. What's important is that he is not at all a problematic stereotype <laughs> and that he has come for his cocaine. <laughs> As he approaches the red rope of the VIP, pronounced V-A-P-E in Spanish, he spots his dear friend, who is almost certainly going to become his enemy by the end of the film, Smooth Skin. Scarface yells out his signature line. Ciao, Bella. It's me, Scarface. Oh, my God.